Hello, everyone. Welcome to Still Positive Podcast, where we talk to people who are chronically ill and or disabled. I am your host, Dana Marie. I will be here for the majority of this time. I'm joined today by Charlie. Charlie is open about living with blindness. He has written... He has a blindness that I, my brain refuses to pronounce correctly, but it's RP and he'll go through it throughout the episode. It's a lovely conversation that we had about living with blindness, being open with other people about being blind and sort of bringing your passions in with your spirituality and letting that lead you into a more open view of yourself. I think that it was really lovely talking to Charlie and learning more about how he lives with blindness and RP. So listen into this episode and enjoy. Let's be real. People love to gloss over chronic conditions or disabilities with a fleeting comment like, just be positive or a fleeting insult like, Kale will cure you. This is a podcast for when you face a different reality, knowing that positivity isn't a magic wand that's gonna cure everything, but a flashlight in the dark that we may or may not have batteries to. Living with a chronic illness or disability makes you feel different, and your difference could be noticeable to others or not, but either can sometimes make you feel invisible. I'm here to tell you that your experience is valid and shared by others in the dark. Positivity is not the missing puzzle piece that's going to solve your life's puzzle, but it can be a beautiful tool that can help you grow, and sharing those experiences can make us grow together. Yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to do it. I was really um, excited to have you on and get a little bit more into your can you pronounce ret- retinitis pigment retinitis pigmentosa? Retinitis. Mm-hmm. There are always little tongue twisters, the long diagnoses and prescriptions. That <laughs> yeah. I go to um, my pharmacy and I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'll just show you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely understand. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you're doing. How are you doing today? And how is your um, overall feeling for this May? For this May, mm-hmm. I, overall, I'm doing pretty well. A lot of big changes happening in my life. A lot of, uh, a lot more time for myself, which is good, and a lot of investment into uh, just what I love and like serving people. You know, I'm really trying to step that up in my life because it makes me really happy, and uh, that's what May and honestly, looking into June is about. And then also, May has just been like crazy busy because I've been releasing music that I've been sitting on for like ever, you know, making a big plan about it. And it's, uh, it's really exciting for me too, because it's, you know, it's, it's music that I've been writing throughout my journey of accepting my blindness. And now I'm at a place where I'm really comfortable and confident with it, which has taken me my whole life. So to share the music and the story behind it is, it gives me all the feels, you know, it's nice. That's great. And you've been working on it for a while now. Yeah. I've been recording it for three years. Normally like albums may not take that long, but I started and I didn't think it was going to be an album. I was like, I'm just going to go and record some singles. And then a few singles turned into 13 and uh, we took it 
a song at a time. A lot of times people will record and they'll go, okay, we're going in, we're going to record all the guitars on this day. Then we're going to record all the drums. Then we're going to do all this. And I didn't do it like that. I did a song at a time. Uh, so there's a lot of care put into the record in that way. And I, I, I'm really proud of it. I'm very excited. It tells a lot of my journey and also a lot of my spiritual life too, which is a big part of who I am. Wow. That's amazing. And I love that you really took your time and really dove into it. It sounds like such a passion project that you have there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a, a goal of mine. You know, I had a, funny enough, I had a, a bucket list when I was younger, you know, like a high school bucket list. (laughs) Funny enough, fun fact, I got a goldfish out of that bucket list and they're turning 10 today. That or never like this happens. month. I know, I know. Like they're still at my parents' house. My parents love this goldfish. It's huge. It's crazy. Um, another thing that was on that bucket list was a uh, write an album and record it and release it. And I had recorded singles and EPs and stuff. But at the time, I didn't even write music or really play guitar that well. And now it's a, it's been a big part of my life, you know. So to see that, you know, whole journey come to fruition has been really rewarding for me too. That's amazing. And you started singing, was it um, when you were young, you started singing? Great um, question. Yeah, I I started singing when I was, you know, I, I did like the musicals at school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I did like Guys and Dolls and I did Grease. You know, there's pictures of me somewhere if anyone wants to blackmail me. Uh, <laughs> and then there's, uh, and then I actually started a rock band with my cousin, uh, who's one of my best friends. and. Nice. We were in sixth grade and seventh grade and played Green Day covers and, you know, stuff like that. And then my synagogue, my it's a, basically a Jewish church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my synagogue and the cantor at my synagogue came up to me and just said, hey, we know you play guitar. We know that you uh, are doing this. Do you want to just sing and play with the kids and, and do that all the time? And I said, instead of being in class? Yeah, that sounds great. And then I slowly learned that, you know, that was very aligned for me and very aligned for my path. And I've been doing it ever since. I still do it. My full-time work is at Wilshire Boulevard Temple in Los Angeles, California, the biggest synagogue in Los Angeles. And I'm their musician in residence. And I basically lead prayer music and really unique prayer experiences, both for the kids and for the adults. And uh, I, I love it. It's a huge part of my life. I'm definitely, you know, shifting in many ways and growing and doing a lot more within uh, the disability and inclusion world. And that's very present for me. But yeah, that's, that's basically where I got my start. And half the album is music that's written half in Hebrew and half in English, you know, and even the single has some Hebrew in it too. Wow. So. That's so cool that you can align your passions with your religion and bringing those th- two things together. I feel like isn't very common for people to do, but when it does happen, it feels so genuine and just like part of your soul. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. You know, because I'll, sorry to interrupt you, but you know, I feel very lucky because I don't feel like I chose it, you know, or even really had to work that hard for it. It just felt like something that was kind of aligned in my life. Um, And I'm very passionate about music and I'm very passionate about spiritual growth and I'm very passionate about growth and overcoming things as a whole. So my work within disability inclusion is actually, I've fell into it because I've been doing it in a different framework for so long. So it's really kind of cool. It just kind of like fell into my lap in a way. It feels very aligned. 
uh, I didn't have to like go out searching for it. And I know that that's a, a blessing, you know, not everyone gets that. So I'm very, very fortunate and very grateful for it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that high school uh, bucket list had something to do with it a little bit. You know, you like put your mind in that set and then you just go, mm-hmm. you know, was there something I saw a video of you um, coming out about your blindness? I don't know if that was the first time um, in a public space or if that was one of the many times that you've shared with other people that you've had blindness. I was really inspired by your openness about it and how you got to that point. Mm. Well, I think a big part of it, first of all, thank you. That means a lot to me. Uh, I still struggle you know, at times talking about it and sharing about it. Uh, but I, I know now from experience that uh, breaking through that challenge is one of the most rewarding feelings possible. And especially when it's involved in serving and helping other people. And I think, uh, you know, in many ways, I believe I was given this to try and show people that it's okay to be who you are. Uh, but I was hiding who I was. And the big reason that I went through the transformation is because I was just unhappy, you know, I was unhappy for a really long time, but I was masking it, trying to fit in as normal. You know, I don't know for whoever's listening right now and you can't see me on video, right? I'm literally putting quotations in the marks in the air when I say normal, because I don't believe normal exists. I think it's made up and, um, you know, I wanted to be a sighted person, but I was blind and I lived my life trying to, to be something that I am not. So I think after a while that gets really tiring and being someone who is constantly up in front of people, like my job was leading people before I worked in disability and inclusion and talked a lot about my, my blindness or did speaking engagements and things like this. I was still leading Jewish music for hundreds of thousands of people all the time around the world, you know, like singing with them, traveling around the country. So, but they had no idea I was blind. So it almost felt like I was kind of like hiding my true identity. Like they didn't really know who I was. And I also was like hurting myself and hurting other people, both emotionally and physically, because when I'm not using my blind cane, I'm running into everything, you know, or like falling on stuff and tripping. And and then when you use your cane, it's like, okay, let's help this person or no problem if you hit that. We get it. It makes sense. So for me, it was just a slow progression of realizing that uh, it's always better to to live your truth, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a long process, a lot of steps in there to to get to that place. But I think that's the overall, you know, it's the overall road and journey that I took. Yeah, I love seeing that. And I love hearing that it helped to get you to that next step of being more open with other people, but also being open about asking for help. I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that I struggled with a lot coming into chronic illness and just always thinking that you could do it all, you know, even though you're going through it all, you want to be that tough person that can do everything all at once. Oh yeah. Asking for help is so essential and it's what people around you want. Like they want to help you at the end of the day, but they don't know how. So if you're asking for help, you're helping not only, that person connect to you a little bit more, but you're helping yourself because you need help in that situation, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It reminds me at at summer camp, I I experienced this incredible program that honestly, I think it changed my life. 
And basically, I'll try and explain this the best way I can. You're in this giant circle, and uh, there's barriers around the circle, and you, the game starts, everyone's blindfolded, you can't see anything, and they say, welcome to the great escape. Uh, I hope I don't ruin this for anyone who's about to experience this game for the first time, sorry. So basically, you're, you're supposed to uh, get out of the circle, but there's no way out physically. There's no opening in the circle. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You can't go through it. You have to find your way out. And the only instruction they give you is you can't do those things. And if you need help, raise your hand. And the way that you get out is by raising your hand and asking for help. Oh, and God. it's crazy. I was in there forever. I was like, you know, cause I'm so good in the dark. And even at that stage of my life, I'm so used to navigating with a blindfold on basically that I was like, I'm going to make my, I'm going to get out of here before everyone, you know, I couldn't do it. And then eventually I was like, I need help, you know, and I raised my hand, they cover your mouth and pull you out. (laughs) It changed my life. I mean, it's so crazy, you know, to like, think about like, sometimes the answer is just, I need help. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great game. How old were you when you were playing that? Uh, like 15, like right around the time that I was officially legally blind. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a great age to play it too, because you know you're very angsty. You know it's like yeah, oh, yeah. old school. You're, you're all like riled up, and you're not trying to ask for any help at all at that stage. Yeah, exactly. It's really fun. Well, that was when you got diagnosed with. Um, no, actually, I was diagnosed when I was five. So it runs in my family. It's called retinitis pigmentosa. It runs in my family. Uh, you can just say RP for short. Everyone knows it as RP as well. You don't have to. It's okay. Um, it's And uh, basically, I was diagnosed at five. It runs in my family. So my mom has it and my sister has it. And many other family members do. It's a dominant gene in my family. Um, so we were looking out for it from the get-go. They diagnosed me when I was five. And I became legally blind when I was 15 years old. So statistically, that was pretty early to go legally blind, which means like, according to the law, I am a blind person. But I never thought of myself that way, even though I was 15. I just thought, I don't have good vision. And that's it. Right. But the the thing with your RP is that it's the circle and tunneling for you, right? You see just a circle and everything else in the peripheral is darkened. No, it's not there. It's not there. Yeah, because Whoa. black is a color, right? You see mm. black. You can't. I, that's the trippy part for everyone. So I, actually, I have a music video that I just released uh, for my newest single called Blind. And in the video, I show people through point of view what it's like to look through my eyes simultaneously while look what it's looking like through a normal set of eyes. Um, and in the beginning of the video, you have to. I had to put something on the screen that says, you know, I'm blind due to retinitis pigmentosa. And it's like looking through a small tunnel or a straw. The black on the outside of the screen or this little bit that you see is not there for me, right? Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I I basically see like I'm looking through a tiny straw, but it's almost as if like I don't notice my vision closing in on itself because it happens so slowly and so progressively. Um, I know that I definitely have way less vision than I did even when I was like 15, but... uh, it's just, it, it like, it's like every day, you know, you wake up every day and it's just like a slow, tiny progression. So it's not like I wake up any day and go, oh, I'm super blind now, you know, <laughs> like, and I think that was part of the challenge with me actually owning like, okay, 
no, this is real. I got to use a blind cane, you know, because I was like, ah, no, I'm fine. I'm still doing good. I played baseball in high school. It's no problem. I can do whatever I want, you know, but that's not the case. You know, you, you have to take responsibility for where you're at. And even though it's important to ask for help and you need help from people, I think still number one, you have to be your biggest support system. Right. Absolutely. And take care of yourself by all means. Yeah. Um, What was, um, because I also read that you were a little hesitant to get the walking cane and things that would be your aid. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a certain situation where you sort of drew the line and said, like, this is the time where I need to just fold in and get oh, these yeah. things for myself? Yeah, there was a time. By the way, it's called a blind cane or you can say a lot of people call it a white cane. Um, oh. Those are the two. My biggest pet peeve in the world is when someone calls it my stick. It's like, I didn't pick this up off the ground. <laughs> it's not a stick. Um, but just, just so you know the, the proper term. But uh, when I first started using my cane, I mean, I had it since I was 15 because when, when I was diagnosed as legally blind, I got like mobility training basically. And what that means is, you know, someone came out to my house uh, like once a week for a few months and I would just go train on how to use a cane. And the thought was, you can use it as much or as little as you want. It's up to you, but you need to know how to use it. And I used it only when it benefited me. I used it when I went to Disneyland and I could get on all the rides through the exits. I went, I used it at concerts. I still really needed it at those times because there's so many people around, you know, like it's too hard for me. But if I could just hang on to a friend and not use it, I would do that. Mm -hmm. I would, I would do anything I possibly could to not be visibly blind to other people, I would do. And it wasn't until I was 24 that I finally realized like, what am I doing? You know, like, what am I actually doing? You know, this is ridiculous. I'm hurting myself. I have so many broken, I've broken so many things, like so many bones. And uh, it's just, yeah, it was just like, what am I, I need to, I need to do this. You know, I need to step up and just own it. And funny enough, it was less about my vision being like really horrible, you know, or like, wow, all of a sudden my vision is really bad. Like I was talking about earlier, it was more about just like owning up to who I am. It was more of an internal choice and a strength to go, you know what, this is me. I'm blind. Yeah. And that acceptance of, you know, this is what my life is, like it or not. Like, I know that it's not changing. So I got to get used to it somehow, you know? 100%. Yeah. And I saw this, uh, I saw this stat today. I love, and I'm obsessed with this idea of what visible versus invisible disabilities. I love it because I think that there's so many people out there who have invisible disabilities, but beyond the idea of having an invisible disability is I think a lot of people have invisible challenges, you know, and a lot of us just don't see it or understand or know. And it's through conversation and and checking in. But the stat is that 66 million people or something like that have a disability in America. And I think 33 million of those have an invisible one. It just puts in perspective. Yeah. And you never know what people are going through, like whether it be a disability or just like a terrible situation that they're going through. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I think... I think people are very quick to assume, and I think we're all guilty of it, you know? Um, It's like the story of the person who uses a wheelchair and then all of a sudden stands up in the wheelchair and like walks for a second. And you're like, what, what, 
why are you using a wheelchair? It's like, well, just calm down. Like they, they need it. They just don't need it all the time. And that's how it is with my blind cane. You know, if I'm not using my cane for a second, people are like, that's just normal guy. And then all of a sudden I break out my cane, like, what, what's going on? You know, like, who is this guy? Or like, and because I can see a little bit in front of me as well, I do have some central vision remaining. Uh, I can catch people looking at me and it's, yeah, some of the looks I get are crazy, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, that even if it is visible, people still assume what it's like or think they know what it's like to experience. But funny enough, like m even if my same condition in someone else, they have a completely different experience than I do. And I think that that's an important thing to understand as well. It's like, it's, it's not even, you can't even assume based on the type of disability that they have. It's just everything can be different for everyone's experience. And that's true throughout life. Right. Exactly. You think everything is cohesive. If one person has a disability or cancer or something like that, everyone feels the same way. But there are so many different ways you can feel in those situations that are so right. different than one another. Mm -hmm. Everyone's body reacts differently to different things. It's, it definitely comes into perspective once you're in these situations, uh, like yeah. I said before. But when you're not in there, you're like, what? You just get this prescription and then you're better like everyone else. But if your body has like a negative reaction to that, you're not going mm -hmm. to be. Yeah, that's really tough. Is there anything that you, that your doctors tell you about RP, like the future of it? Does it continue to digress in your um, eyesight or is there treatment? Like what's the deal on that side of it? Yeah, there's no treatment. There's no cure uh, currently, uh, but there's some cool stuff happening with it, you know? Uh, and my doctors have always just told me, wear your sunglasses and that's <laughs> it. I think that's it. Don't stare into the sun. Wear your sunglasses. The glasses I'm wearing right now turn into sunglasses. That's been like one of the greatest things I've ever bought. So I don't have to like fumble around. Mm -hmm. Amazing invention. Thank you to the person who did that. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, my doctor told me I couldn't drive. But like, other than that, like, I feel like I'm going to the doctor and they're kind of just telling me the same thing. Uh, I will say that they told me it was serious for a long time, but I wasn't listening. Uh, but I mean, I'll get to the, the cure aspect of it. I think it's pretty cool. There's a lot of cool things happening with science. Uh, and a lot of it's funded by this amazing organization called the Foundation Fighting Blindness that I've been involved with since I was about 13. They're incredible. And all they do is try and find cures for people who have blinding eye diseases. It's amazing. Uh, and they're actually able to do gene therapy on certain types of RP. Um, and they go in and they, I don't know, I can't, you know, I shouldn't explain the science. They'd somehow take out the gene and replace it with an, with some other kind of gene. I don't know how they do it. And they cure the mutation and then people's eyesight gets restored. Basically what happens in my eyesight is that there's a misfiring. Our cells in our bodies die over time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then we get our cells regenerated. Well, the retinal cells, the rods and cones that are supposed to regenerate for me do not regenerate. Um, there's a misfire in that happening. So basically what they're trying to do is trying to make it so that it changes that and the code reads correctly and that I can, you know, regain some vision. I might not regain all of it because there might have already been damage done to like how far it's gone and I don't know how quickly it can regenerate or something like that. But they have been successful in very specific cases with specific 
genes that the mutation is popular because there's, I mean, I'm getting really scientific. There's tons of different mutations that cause retinitis pigmentosa, which is classified as tunnel vision and night blindness, basically. Mm. Um, my family is the first one to ever f be found with our specific mutation on, on the specific gene that we have. Uh, so I think it might take a little bit longer for them to, to cure us because we're not one of the more popular cases. Um, but I, if they're curing it in other people, I think that whether it's in my lifetime or maybe a future generation of our family's lifetime, I, I have a good feeling that we'll be able to, you know, get it, get it sorted, which is awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. There's so many things in progression to try to cure, um, so many diseases that we have never seen cures for. I think yeah. that, that is, it's such an amazing time to be alive, to really witness all of these things coming together and really helping people. For me, that with cancer, I mean, specifically, there's so much research being done on cancer all the time mm -hmm. and is really just prolonged so many people's lives to the point where now a lot of my advocacy for cancer and for people that are going through cancer is just that there are so many options now. There's so many things that you can do and the uh, percentages for survival are so much higher so much yeah. higher than they used to be then it's just so much um positivity and so many things to look forward to yeah absolutely and it's interesting because cancer is life threatening you know when you hear that you think oh my, my my life might be in danger which is a really different state of acceptance that you have to go through compared to what i go through because mine is not life threatening i think my way of life is threatened but not my life as a whole. So again, like I, it's hard for me to even think about that. It's just like maddening about what you may go through and other people who experience that. And the fact that there's treatments that are working and it's getting easier and easier to make sure that you, you know, are able to beat it. That's incredible. It's a really beautiful thing. And for me, it's, it's interesting because I've gotten so used to being blind that I don't know if I even want to have my vision back. I don't know if that's like crazy. Uh, but I love it. Like it's me. I'm me. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be anybody else. So I've gotten so used to living my life the way that I do. And I feel so aligned with who I am that I don't know if I really would want to go in and like fix it. I'd have to go through a whole identity shift, you know, when like, I think there's an understanding that like, oh, you're blind. You must want that to not be that way. Or you have this chronic issue. You must not want it to be that way. When like, it's okay for it to be like, no, I have, I am blind and no, I'm good. My life is kick ass and I don't want it to be different. And I, th I think that's a really big misconception that people have, like that somehow normal, right? Quotation marks again, is the goal. But I, I don't believe that. I believe self-acceptance is the goal and self-love is the goal. And, you know, like th those things matter, you know, I, I don't want to be perfect or, you know, have perfect vision more than I want to have self-love and self-acceptance, you know, and I've gained those things. And I feel like maybe I'd have to gain that again if I went through regaining my vision. Uh, I'm sure I could, but it would be a hard choice for me. I don't know if I would do it. Wow. That's cool to hear though. I'm so glad that you feel that way. And I think that it is, it's like these people, other people 
um, that are quote unquote normal, they feel this, that way, like you must want to feel like everyone else does. And it's like, yeah, that's a classic you, assumption. Why would you think that? <laughs> no. Yeah. Why would you think that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. And when you actually hear it out loud, like what you just said, it sounds crazy. Can you say it again? It sounds crazy. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to be like everyone else? Oh, come on. Obviously. I want to throw that in the garbage. Exactly. That's some garbage right there. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. I, I just want to be like everybody else. No, you don't. Come on. Shut up. You want to be you. Exactly. And I want to be me. Right? Like deep down, I want to be me. So I'm blind. That's it. I think that's okay. And maybe down the line, if someone said, hey, we can fix that. I might go, okay, maybe I'm ready for that. But right now in this moment, I'm not searching for a cure, right? The reason that I support the foundation fighting blindness is because there's other people in our community that may want that. Maybe it's my sister, maybe it's my mom, maybe it's my future family members, you know? And maybe it's just my friends and my blind community that want that support. That's so cool to hear. So describe to me what you think of when you think of inner vision and what it means to you when you think about inner vision as opposed to outer vision. Yeah, I even put I, I like I just think of it as eyesight and inner vision is the way that I try and put eyesight. it. Mm. Yeah, because it's uh, actually there's a Helen Keller quote. Let me get it. It's so good. Um, Helen Keller. I just texted it to my mom and dad. Actually, here we go. The only here. <laughs> This, this is shout out mom and dad. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. Bam, Helen Keller. I, and that sums it up for me. Like inner vision is about knowing who you are, is about understanding your goals and where you want to go, knowing what's best for you and knowing that what's best for you is going to be what's best for the world around you. Because when you're really aligned with what is truly best for you, that makes a beautiful impact on the world. That's what I believe. Like if it's really best for you, even if it's challenging and you have to hurt some people or disappoint some people in the long run, I, I'm a firm believer that that is something that is going to make the world a better place because we all have these beautiful gifts. We have these amazing things in our lives that are meant to be shared with others. You know, they're not meant to just be held for ourselves. And inner vision for me is about connecting with those gifts. It's about connecting with your beauty and connecting with who you truly are and, and what you want to do in the world. And that looks different for every single person. It goes back to that idea that we just said, which sounds preposterous. I just want to be like everybody else. It just makes me, I, I want to scream again. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I really, that's what it's about for me is this idea that you can access something so much greater in yourself on the inside than what you can ever see looking through your eyes. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I really do. And it, it takes so much practice to get to this point. Oh, yeah. So much acceptance. And it, I don't know if you would get there if you weren't faced with such difficult circumstances that other people don't run into in their daily lives. Before I got chronically ill, I mean, I was in my tw like early 20s. So I 
had no idea about myself just for various reasons. You know, you don't even know yourself at that point, but I was definitely not trying to get some inner self-love at all. I was like, <laughs> whatever, you know, like what was your 20 self? What were you trying to do instead? What was the oh my gosh, just like deflecting and like not processing any sort of emotion, just like yeah. going out instead and trying to like find feelings through like going out to like uh, parties and stuff like that. Oh, that's such a beautiful like idea trying to find feelings yeah <laughs> it's true though that's what we do right we like actually go out and try and find the feelings but they're already within inside of us if we just stop for a second and looked within it's beautiful sorry to interrupt you i just love that oh that's exactly it yeah i think it's one of the biggest lies ever that we get fed that happiness lives outside of us and I think that's a lot of what I heard you just say is, you know, and it's something that we all go through is like trying to find happiness, whether it be in other people or things, you know, and then I believe that we're all faced with certain challenges in our lives. For us being disabled or chronically ill was a really big smack in the face, but I think everyone has something that they just go, you wouldn't understand, you know? I really believe that. I don't. I think it's a part of the human experience, but everyone's looks different. And for some reason we have like this kind of competition sometimes I feel like, like, oh, mine's not as bad as yours though, because you're blind, right? Or mine's not as bad as yours because you have cancer or mine's not as bad as yours because you have this. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. It is all about how you experience it and what you're experiencing. And if you allow yourself to say, well, their situation is worse because of X, Y, and Z. It's basically saying, I don't need to take care of mine because yours is worse, right? Mm -hmm. That could be happening. Or um, it's like guilty, right? Like, or like, like self-sabotage in a way, you know? But a lot of people grow up with really hard family situations or they're consistently uh, falling in love and finding that the person isn't available or, you know, there's so many things that happen and just because it's different or it's not a disability or a chronic illness doesn't mean that it's not challenging and hard. You know, it was specific, I believe specifically designed for you so you could overcome it. And that's why doing those things that you mentioned, like meditating, taking time for yourself, practicing gratitude, even just a little bit really makes a huge difference in helping you develop that inner vision. Absolutely. And what are some of your go-tos for self-love when you're feeling like you need a reboot? Because sometimes, you know, you yeah. think you're going along steady and then all of a sudden you have this steady drop and you're like, wait oh. a minute. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> what are you talking about? I never have that. Right, right. Yeah, this is my sarcastic voice. Uh, I would say, first of all, post-mating some very delicious food is something that I really enjoy. <laughs> and... I love doing it. Another thing that makes me happy and is really beautiful that I do every single day is a morning ritual and an evening ritual. I think this gets, this is very popular nowadays and gets, I th I think because it's so popular, sometimes people go, ah, it's just, they're saying that thing again, you know, mm -hmm. that morning ritual evening thing. Oh, just, come on. I don't need to hear that anymore. And I have to tell you that that's I incorrect. It is one of the most powerful things that you can do. I wake up every morning and I, I pray, I do a prayer in Hebrew that basically says, thank you, God, for returning my soul to my body and for giving me a new day. Boom. It's like, yes, right? It's the first thing I do when I wake up. And then I do this uh, hand-washing ritual to wash all the negativity off of myself because sometimes we wake up from dreams and have, you know, like different 
feelings and ickiness or just like, you know, you don't want to start your day with that. So like do a, like a ritual washing, right? Uh, do I really think the water is like washing it away per se? No, but I do think the intention of it is really helping me drop into who I am in that inner vision. And then I also have a set of coins in my pocket. I put a little fortune in there every single day with these coins that are lucky coins. And I pick a card that says a nice little thing on it too. So I do all those things every day, no matter what. Take my dog on a walk in the morning, boom. And then I'll look at my phone. That's a big oh, one. Yeah, that's and it's hard one. every day. I will say like, even this morning, I was like, I woke up and I was like, hmm, I wonder what the weather is. So you know what I've been doing? I just asked Siri. I, I'll just ask her, um, <laughs> ask her for the weather or what time it is or anything like that. They tell me. And I also have an alarm clock in my bathroom that is a normal alarm clock that I set. And I have to say those things help me a lot because not starting my day with texts or social media or emails is a really big thing for me. And I go back and forth. Sometimes I suck at it and sometimes I'm really great at it. And it's all okay. It's just a journey. And then yeah. I, pr I pray a little bit before I go to bed. And for me, prayers like meditation, just reconnection. I used to do something where I would do five things that I'm grateful for just before I go to bed. Um, little tiny things that I don't like sit in, a, in, in front of a shrine and like, you know, for 30 minutes and meditate. Like, I think that's a lot of times unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I do at least give myself two to five minutes before I go to bed to just reconnect. Oh, that's great. Like not a lot of time to really put in the effort to really connect to yourself. But sometimes at the end of the night, it feels like I have this long to do list of things to do. Yeah, I agree. I'm also no shame for me. I do my whole nighttime ritual under the covers in my PJs in oh. bed. That's a good call. <laughs> you know, like, and I think there's a lot of shame around that sometimes being like, well, you have to be in front of your shrine and you have to, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you don't have to do that. You just have to do what's rest for you. Right. And it's the same. It goes back to the same thing. I'll start screaming again. Why do you want to be like everyone else? Just do what's best for you. You know, as long as it works for you, then it's golden. Mm -hmm. That's it. You don't have to meditate like the person who is the greatest meditation teacher in the world. You know, you don't have to, you know, wake up and do a morning ritual exactly like someone else's. You just need to do what works for you. And the other thing that I like to tell people a lot is that what works for you can change at any moment. And that is okay. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Like so I've, I'm in this routine now with the washing my hands thing. I've only been doing it a few months. And before then I used to meditate in the morning. Now nah, I don't want to meditate. I'd rather do the washing the hands thing. And then maybe I'll go back to meditating or going to run. I used to, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, that slight change can really help boost you out of like a little rut that you might be in. Cause sometimes you too, like you're doing the thing and then you're still feeling this way. And sometimes just switching up, like, from meditation to something else, like you're saying, can really just do it. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we need the change, right? Mm. Like sometimes I feel with the rituals and, the, and we feel like I must wake up and do the same ritual for 40 years until I die. It's like, oh my God, do you hear yourself right now? Like, that's ridiculous. Why don't you just do a different thing every single day? And if it feels good, it feels great. Done. You know? And some consistency, I think, is important. When you find something that you like, do it a few more times. And then when you don't like it anymore and it's not working for you, change it. Yeah, totally. I definitely agree. Yeah.
So what I see that you're, you've been posting so much about inspirational quotes to help other people that are blind and losing vision. What are your future goals for advocacy for seeing impaired? Hmm. Well, I will say that I don't post those just for people who are blind. I post them for actually for everyone, just like people. Yeah, you know? that's the best. I don't really, I, I think in the beginning, when I'm starting out right now, a lot of people that are becoming attracted to my page are people who may have RP2 or may have a visual impairment or may have a disability. But my goal in truth is to reach as many people as possible. Because like I said before, everyone has a challenge. Mine just happens to be blindness. And I want to help you. Like I want, I want to serve. I want to help you get through your challenge and, and overcome because luckily I've been through it and I've done it a little bit younger and I've come to self-acceptance. Now I still work on it every day. It's not like it's a magic cure. And then for the rest of your life, you feel amazing. I still have those days, like you were saying, but, uh, I've kind of gone through the process, you know, and it's not like you need to go to college to learn how to get through challenges. You can't do that. So why not learn from someone who has like yourself or myself? And that's, I want to make myself a resource for those people. So I think that's really my goal. And overall, I just want to keep improving on helping people with that. And I don't care about anything else, but making sure that I'm helping people work through their biggest challenges as much as possible. So I'm trying to think of it as like data, you know, the posts that do better, it just means like that helps people more. I'm going to do more stuff like that. Mm. You know, that's the, that's the goal. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to see what you come up with next. Honestly, I think that it's really cool and it is relatable for those who don't have these diseases or disabilities mm -hmm. to learn about people that do and learn about the fact that they're normal people. Like we're all normal people. <laughs> we're all yep. living here. We're all human. And it's just our experiences are different. And that's where the disconnect happens because, you know, you Absolutely. put on all these labels and then people are like, oh, you're different. I don't know how to act around you. And you're like, yes, you do. <laughs> like, right. yes. like you do with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Great point. I love that point. Do you experience that a lot? Yeah. I mean, it's after coming out about and having cancer, um, you definitely get a lot of people first sympathizing and then being really sad for you and then distancing mm -hmm. themselves. And then they fade out and then you're sort of left alone like twice first alone when you find out everything and you're like I'm completely different and then second when you find out that people feel a certain way when they're around you so they want to sort of give you space thinking that that's what you want but it turns out to be that's not what you want yeah it's interesting how that happens over life you know you you really get to learn who are your people mm -hmm. like who really care about you and some of the people that you thought you that cared the most about you like Maybe they didn't. And that's also okay. You don't have to hate them. It just means that they're not your person or your people and that's okay. But yeah, very wise. I think it sounds like you have a lot of experience around, you know, relationships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not just that, but just like uh, a community, like what it's like to deal with your community once you get, be, get a diagnosis. Because mm. um, for me, I, I didn't really my community when I was five was like my mom and my dad and my sister and like 
my classmates in kindergarten. I don't, they didn't, I didn't tell them, by the way, I was diagnosed, you know, like around the sharing circle. No, I just like ran around the yard act and thought I was normal, but I had to wear sunglasses all the time. So, you know, it was later on in life when I said to the world, like, oh, by, by the way, this is actually my reality. Um, I guess that comes as the point I was like 24, 25. I think that really is the place where I started to learn who was really by my side and who was, you know, who wasn't, mm -hmm. but it's not the same experience because it wasn't directly after the diagnosis, you know, so I was diagnosed so young. So I, I can't even really, I don't even fully understand that experience the way that you do. Well, I think that they're similar in ways. I mean, I waited a little bit until I really told people and was public about it. I mean, I mm -hmm. waited a little bit, but I think that, it's similar in ways. Did you find that people started acting differently towards you? Like your friends or just people that knew you? Yeah. I also just had a lot of people going like, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like I, I, for real, like people just didn't know, like I go to conferences a lot and, uh, I was per like speaking and performing at conferences when I wasn't using a blind cane and all of a sudden I was, and people come up to be like, what is that? And I'd be like, this is my blind cane. They're like, what do you mean? And I literally had to go around at places that I worked and, and just like have like a, like a, I can't think of the name. Oh, it's like when, when you walk into a room and, and people are like, we need an intervention. It's an intervention, you know, like a, you had to have like interventions with people be like, by the way, I'm, you know, this is who I actually am. And I've been dealing with this a really long time. And a lot of people are like, wow, that's crazy. So inspiring. And other people are like, what the hell? You know, like I did not expect that. Can you tell me more? And I think more of the challenge for me was just like, I was bombarded with sharing my story all the time. And I felt like I had to tell everyone. Uh, so I'm finally at a place where every, I feel like all the people in my life know. And now when people meet me, they meet the real me, the blind me. So it's not as challenging, but that was the hardest thing for me too. It's just like constantly having to share with people that this was my reality. Mm -hmm. And trying to like navigate their reactions, conform yourself to how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. I hate that. Like, I just want to feel however. That's why telling people can be so burdensome sometimes because you're telling people and I really want to make sure that I trust them because I don't want to like console them while I'm like telling them my news about my life, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. It's like we have to be the people that console them in different times. And that's just craziness. You know, I, I find that a lot. I find that people like need to share with me or ask me a bunch of questions because they need it for them. Mm -hmm. And as much, I do love doing that and I love hearing things and, and listening, but I do think there's a certain point where it's like, you know, I'm really sorry, but I have to go. And I, and I don't, th I don't, I'm feeling less bad about that and less guilty about that because it's, it's just okay. You know, we don't, you know, we got to do what's best for us at different times. I don't think it's rude. Um, if someone's asking me like a zillion questions, they're like, wait, but you can't see this, but you can't see that. Can you tell me more about this? Can you tell me more about that? I'm at a certain point. I'm like, okay, I'm really sorry, but I, thank you. Bye. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, I don't know if it's like in the middle of the street and I have to like go somewhere and people are like, ask me a zillion questions. It can be really tough. Absolutely. And also like none of their business to be honest. Yeah, true. Like, <laughs> That's a good point. Couldn't agree more. Uh, well, for all of your 
living with being blind and coming out about it, do you find that you can still be positive in this time of your life? Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like I can be more positive actually now rather than before, because when I was living before I was constantly, even though it was, it was like subconscious, right? Because I was so firm and like, I'm not using a cane, right? My vis my disability is going to be invisible. I wasn't thinking those words to myself out loud or like, I'm going to hide this from them. I was just constantly doing that in the back of my head and in my heart. It was like, it's painful to do that constantly. So yes, I was positive, but something always felt a little bit off, you know, I couldn't really figure it out. And now that I'm just like me, I can be me. I can be positive and I can feel confident about where I'm going because I'm more aligned with what I'm my purpose in life. Um, Sometimes you have to break through your greatest challenges in order to access that kind of inner vision, for lack of a better term, you know? So 100%, yeah, I think I can be more positive and I, I feel positive. Even the thought of like going completely blind, it may happen one day, but I know that I'm not going to wake up one day and be blind because that's not the way my, my vision works. So mm. probably a slow progression. And at that point, I already feel like I'm completely blind anyway. So I'm I feel good about it. You know, I'm, I'm living a great life. I'm blessed. I feel awesome. I'm strong. I'm healthy. And when I go to the doctor, I'm very lucky that they ask me like, do you have any conditions? I say retinitis pigmentosa. And then they ask me all the other questions and I get to say no, you know? So I don't take that for granted. I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. And you know, it's something I'm grateful for. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear it. And I'm so appreciative. I'm so glad that you were able to jump on the call and I can't wait to hear your next album. I've been listening to the songs that you've been putting out and they're so good. Thank you. Yeah, the album, well, I don't know when this is going to be released, but it might be out when it is. Uh, Wednesday, the 19th of May is when the album is fully out. Um, and I encourage people, I'm making a, uh, well, I've already made it, but it's a full pre-order package. Uh, or at this point, you know, if it's out, it'll just be an ordered package, but it's a deluxe edition of the album. And I wanted to give something that dove a little bit more into the process and actually served people in a different way. So it includes, you know, the basic things you get in a deluxe album, like the lyrics and the liner notes. Uh, and I'm also including a behind the scenes podcast of like how, what the recording of the album was like, but then the coolest thing that I'm super excited about is something I call a blind spot, uh, meditation where I help people work through one of their challenges uh, and actually see how they may have been choosing to be blind to it like I was choosing to be blind to my my own blindness, right? Uh, and that's really what the album is about. And I want people to be able to, uh, you know, get that, get that information and really use it in their lives. So yeah, if you pay for that, you obviously get the music, but you get all those things with it. And it's really inexpensive. I think it's 24 bucks on my website, charliekramervision.com. So I encourage people not just to go listen on Spotify, but to get the full experience as well. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm really grateful. It's been nice to talk to you and learn more about you as well. And uh, thank you, everyone, and hope to connect with you again soon. All right, folks, and that is it. 
We are done. Thank you to Charlie for getting me and the rest of Still Positive fam, your time and energy. I always appreciate it. Make sure to check out Charlie's music. It's absolutely fantastic. I love the music video that he had put out. I think it's a really great perspective of how he views the world. And I think that's so cool that you're able to do that with technology and show people what it's like. I definitely suggest giving that a like, listen, and following him. And to all of the listeners here, if you like this episode, make sure to like and subscribe for more Still Positive, living with positivity throughout chronic illness and disabilities. It's not always easy, folks, so if you need a pick-me-up, make sure to subscribe and write a review. Make sure you just give some love uh, to this podcast, but really to yourself and to people around you. So enjoy your day, and as always, stay sick.